This is Corolla Digital. Hey everyone, it's me, Allison, from Allison Rosen is your new best friend. On Monday, I sat down with David Wilde, and he dropped over 45 names. I'm not kidding. And also, we had a heartfelt talk about all sorts of stuff, and he shared some details about his family that he's never talked about before publicly. And then on Thursday, I was joined by Matt, Chris, Gary, and Jenna, and we learned all about Matt's trip to Color Me Mine, and I made everyone help me figure out what wedding cake flavor to get, because I can't figure it out! Sorry for yelling. Subscribe to Allison Rosen as your new best friend on iTunes or go to AllisonRosen.com. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. I love you. Allison's your new best friend. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who wants to fall in love. Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And you know, I know I say this every week because I feel it every week, and it's true every week, but especially today, it's a little bit of a tired day and a little bit of a, oh, a chilly, rainy day. And you know what, though? That music makes me feel so good, gives me such a smile, and uh, I would like to shake the hand of every musician in that band one day, many hundreds of years from today. But it really does make me feel good to hear them. Thanks, fellas. And, of course, that's the Doug Nason Orchestra and the Lynn Freilich Dancers Featuring boy tenor Gary Mitchell asking the musical question, Should you answer a rhetorical question with a hypothetical answer? Good question, Gary. I and Colonel Jeff thought that was a terrific question, mainly because it finally dawned on me and Colonel Jeff, I have no idea what a rhetorical question is or a hypothetical answer. I have no idea. He had no idea. We have no idea. And so you raised quite a bit there. You know, should you answer a rhetorical question with a hypothetical answer? First of all, you should do what we did, which is to turn on the Internet there and go to find out what a rhetorical question is to start with. What is a rhetorical question? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have it right here. It says, uh... This is from the Free Encyclopedia. A rhetorical question is a figure of speech in the form of a question that is asked in order to make a point. The question, a rhetorical device, is posed not to elicit a specific answer, but rather to encourage a message or viewpoint. Though classically stated as a proper question, such a device may be posed declaratively and therefore may not always require a question mark when written. So, though a rhetorical question, it continues, does not require a direct answer, in many cases it may be intended to start or at least draw an an acknowledgement that the listener understands the intended message. 
what that's getting to, if you don't mind my boiling it down for you, is that after all that and another two full pages we printed out on rhetorical questions, I still have no idea what it is. I don't even know what it, what I just read, and I'm not I'm not making fun of that. I'm saying I read that, and I t- turned to the colonel and said, do you know what that means? He said, no. Do you? I said, no. That's the point why I'm asking you. I still know nothing about a rhetorical question, what it means, what it's supposed to mean. Well, you know, when someone says, uh, that's a question, uh, is that a rhetorical question? But now, it turns out I never knew. I don't think I ever used that phrase. turns out I never knew. But now, after looking it up and getting into it, I don't even know less. I mean, I, 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 what I don't know is less than it was. But I don't give up that easily, folks. That's why I'm speaking and you're listening. And so I said, well, wait a minute. Let's, you know, look up what a hypothetical answer is then. Maybe that'll help us with, with what the rhetorical question was. So uh, we did. And here's the definition from the same outfit there. The word hypothetical refers to a simulation or pseudo-possibility or a circumstance at a particular and unique time and situation. It is simply used to give an example of either a past experience or a probable cause for a situation. So, once again, now I know less. I have no clue why I'm even holding these pieces of paper. Well, you know, I know why. It was that Gary Mitchell. That's why. But you know what? Terrific question. And and the question is, should you answer a rhetorical question with a hypothetical answer? And the answer is, folks, maybe, I'm not sure, it's a possibility. But, of course, any of those answers is just a backhanded compliment. And we chose that phrase specifically because I don't even know what that means. What a backhanded compliment is. Say, you're pretty tall and well-built. Is that a backhanded compliment? Say, you need to be taller and better built. Is that a backhanded compliment? You know what, folks? All I know is, all I can say to Gary Mitchell is a terrific question. Should you answer with a hypothetical answer? I don't know, Gary, but I think it's terrific. Should you answer a a rhetorical question with a hypothetical answer? I think maybe the best part of that question is you you could just take and reverse those phrases. You could say, should you answer a hypothetical answer with a rhetorical question? You know what? It's good enough for me. So, uh, and by Amazon. That's right. Amazon... Still our best buddy here at This Week with Larry Miller. Amazon has everything in the world you want. You turn on your computer, you turn on your laptop, you turn on your iPhone or your iScreen or anything you have, and you punch it in and you go right to Amazon, right? Wrong! Wrong! As wrong as you could be, you don't do anything like that. Let us help you. If, if Remember, if we can help you finding out what a rhetorical question is, we can certainly get you to Amazon, can't we? What you do is you go to our website. 
boy, you almost did it on your own, didn't you? You go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com or LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix, who we used last week and we're very grateful. And you go to our website and we have a banner that says Amazon. And what color is it again? Red? And, oh, does they don't know either. They're checking now. You know what? It doesn't matter. It says Amazon. Could be yellow. No, they don't think so. The point is we have a banner, and that says Amazon. You click our banner, and we do the heavy lifting for you. You go sit down, take a nap, and we'll take you right to Amazon. And that's where you get everything you've always wanted. You get everything. you. That's why it's a perfect deal for everyone. Amazon says you what you sends you what you ask for, you get what you asked for, and Amazon sends us a percentage of what you pay for. So you know what? That's a terrific deal, and we can use that money. Remember, that's going to our next fancy fried chicken dinner with cocktails before. And so you use them, go to Amazon through us at LarryMillerPodcast.com. And by PayPal. That's right. PayPal. Still my favorite name to say because it's just fun to say. PayPal. PayPal. Hey, pal. No. PayPal. And what it's interesting to know is that, and the colonel pointed this out this week, and I think he's right. It's important for us to tell you that, you know what? We like to say for PayPal, go to a bar and send us three drinks worth and we'll use that the night we go out, say, for our fancy dinner. But it's more important to know, folks, if you like our show and the phrase that I always loved using, what to keep the lights on here and it helps keep us going, if you want to send a couple of bucks to us, this is a good way to do it. Go and find out, well, what a local drink costs in your favorite bar and send us three of those, three drinks worth. One for the colonel, one for the doctor, and one for me. And you know what? That's a good way to, well, yeah, it's sort of like an NPR-a-thon. And, uh, on a, and so if you do that, if you send us some of your dough, believe me, number one, it'll get well spent, and number two, you'll be hearing about it. So thanks to Amazon and to PayPal. And that brings us to... Well, my favorite part of the show, the the joke of the week. That's right, the joke of the week. I love telling a joke every week, and sometimes we get them from, well, certain groups on the Internet that are just there for jokes. Sometimes I tell you just jokes that I keep remembering, because even though I'm a comedian, I can't remember jokes. No one can ever really remember jokes. And you have to keep saying, what was that one about this? Or what was that thing you used to tell a couple of years ago? But jokes are terrific. They're fun to tell, and they're fun to tell to people you like. So, you know what? This one came from the Washington Post, well, Internet Club there. And uh, so this is, a, this is a good joke. We like this one. and uh, And here we go. It was autumn... And the members of a Native American tribe, that's how you know it's the Washington Post. They call it a Native American tribe, by the way. I would not write the joke that way. So let me just let me just change it 
in the friendliest of ways. It was autumn, and the members of a local Indian tribe asked their brand-new chief if the coming winter was going to be cold or mild. Now, since he was a, a new chief in a modern society and had never been taught the old secrets of nature, he looked up at the sky and had no clue what to do. To play it safe, he replied to his tribe that the winter could definitely be cold and that they should collect firewood early just to be prepared. So the members began collecting firewood. And uh, being a practical leader, now he figured he should ha also have the resources available in, in, in a modern society. Well, that's a pretty good chief, especially for a new guy there. Uh, he went to the phone booth, called the National Weather Service, and asked, will this winter be cold? And the guy replied, as of now, it looks like this winter is going to be quite cold, the forecaster said. So the chief went back to his tribe and told them to start now, collect even more wood. Whatever they were going to collect, collect even more wood and... You know, that's just to make sure, because he, now he has some ba some backing. A week later, he called the National Weather Service again. Well, this guy's, you know, keeping up with it. He, he wants to do a good job. So he calls them again and asked for an update. Yes, the man at National Weather Service again replied, based on incoming data, that this winter is looking to be colder, far colder, than we expected. The chief was surprised, but... He, again, went back. Did he go back? No, he ran back to his tribe, told them, this looks like now it's going to be a very cold winter, and asked them to go out twice as long, collect every scrap of wood they can find, everything that can burn. Get that. Everyone get out now and get wood. So, again, a week later, the chief calls the National Weather Service yet again. And he's hoping for a new answer. He says to the guy, are you absolutely sure that the winter is going to be this cold, very cold, horribly cold, and positive, the man replied. It's, it's going to be one of the coldest winters ever. Really? The shocked chief exclaimed. How can you be so sure? Well, the forecaster replied, the Indians are collecting firewood like crazy. So that's the classic, I think, the chicken or the egg thing. Which came first? There's no way to tell, and who cares, as long as it's funny. <laughs> so that was our joke of the week, which brings us to my second favorite portion of the show, the Poetry Corner. Yes, the Poetry Corner, the corner of poetry. And it's something I love doing, too, because we all love poetry more than we think. It's a great way to look at life. And you know something, folks, especially because... You know, with the whole concept of President's Day, that I don't understand anyway, because I, I really don't understand a day. Sure, Washington's birthday I used to understand. Well, that's for Washington, and it's his birthday. And what a great leader, and, you know, he did all sorts of things. Sure, but when you make it President's Day, then, you know, it throws in. So that means Rutherford B. Hayes is in there, too? All right, what did he do? Because I don't know. But this is President's Day, and the idea was to say, you know what, to the colonel, I said, let's find a poem that has to do with a great American president. And we found one 
that was recited in Boston on the 1st of June in 1865. And uh, you all know-it-alls out there, and you know this means it was, in fact, read and written for the, well, the funeral of Abraham Lincoln. And the title of the poem is In Memory of Abraham Lincoln, and it's written by Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr. Now, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. became a great Supreme Court justice, but his father was a very famous and successful American, too, as a writer, as an essayist, as a professor. And Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr. lived from 1809 to 1894. But in this case, he wrote for the services in memory of Abraham Lincoln. And here it goes. O thou of soul and sense and breath, the ever-present giver, unto thy mighty angel, death, all flesh thou dost deliver, what most we cherish, we resign, for life and death alike are thine who reignest, Lord, forever. Our hearts lie buried in the dust with him so true and tender. The patriots stay, the people's trust, the shield of the offender. Yet every murmuring voice is still as, bowing to thy sovereign will, our best loved we surrender. Dear Lord, with pitying eye, behold this martyr generation, which thou, through trials manifold, art showing thy salvation. Oh, let the blood by murder spilt wash out thy stricken children's guilt and sanctify our nation. Be thou thy orphaned Israel's friend, forsake thy people never, in one our broken many blend, that none again may sever. Hear us, O Father, while we raise with trembling lips our song of praise, and bless thy name forever. That's a lovely poem, isn't it? And again, in the world of poetry, from a great poet, this is how he wanted to say goodbye to Abraham Lincoln. What a time that was, folks. And you know what? That leads us perfectly, in a way, to our magic movie moment. This is another very satisfying section of the show because the magic movie moment is something very meaningful to me, and I hope to you, if you haven't heard this before, everyone has one movie they love they've seen 30 times or one they've seen for the first time and they just really love it. Or one that has a special section that really, really moves them that's part of a good movie. And this movie for me, for today, is from 1977, and it was called The Goodbye Girl. It's starring Richard Dreyfuss and Marsha Mason and so many others. Folks you'd know, and Paul Benedict, the great Paul Benedict, and I worked with him, in fact, in Waiting for Guffman. Got to know him, and I really, really cared about the guy. And 
you know what? We had a good time together whenever we saw each other. But I'm talking about this movie for one main reason. Well, it's a, it's a magic movie moment reason. I lived on the block in Manhattan in 1977 when that movie was made. And that was, in fact, on 78th Street between Amsterdam and Columbus. And we had a terrific apartment there, me and three friends. And any of our friends, we, we were all friends from school. And, well, any of our friends who just swung by or needed a place to stay or, let's be honest, had had way too much to drink for a few years and needed a good couch. And we had a terrific time there and a terrific place. And now I was brand new in New York to get into being a comic to think, well, I'd like to be a comic or an actor or a writer. And I had just started and just moved in there with my friends. And sure enough, this movie is about, well, Richard Dreyfuss's character. And that character had just come to do New to New York to be in a play. He was going to be the lead in Richard III, who is, by the way, Richard III. That's why it's called that. And... He was just coming to New York for that. And, well, folks, it's pretty neat to stand out there and watch a movie being made. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to do it, but here I was, just moved into New York to be in show business. And what do you know? Here's a major Hollywood film being made with a top director, great stars, and, oh, the play and the, play, the, play and the, and the, the script was written by Neil Simon. And, you know, th this was a pretty good project to watch being made outside your own apartment. So we were in a, it's a six-story walk-up, nice place. Well, you know, it wasn't so fancy, but it was for us. And, well, I could stand there, sometimes with another one of my roommates, and we would watch scenes being shot. We would watch, you know how they set up sometimes a phony phone booth and... Gee, I could never understand that, but they did for this movie. They put a phony phone booth so it could be in the rain. And they made it rain, even when it was a nice day. And they had scenes being shot where, you know, someone is chasing a car down the street, just running after it with bags of groceries, and, and then the bags of groceries fall, and Marsha Mason falls. And then, you know, you just to, again, watch this being done was so interesting and remembering that movie that was shot on my block, remembering the way I felt, I had no idea at the time, folks, being new to show business, I had no idea as I was standing in my little topsiders and my jeans uh, in front of my apartment building, watching this movie being made and thinking how wonderful it is to tell stories like that. And you know what, folks? I had no idea that I would work with that director again in a movie called Undercover Blues with, oh, with Dennis and Kathleen Turner. How do you like that? And that was so much fun to be in. And I didn't know I was going to work with that director again. And I didn't know that I was going to work with that writer again. That writer, Neil Simon, I was in a play he wrote, and I had a chance with John Lovitz to be, oh, how wonderful, a memory to be one of the leads 
in a Neil Simon play called The Dinner Party on Broadway at the Music Box Theater. Well, that was in 2001. And you know what? That was pretty great. And I didn't know that was going to happen. And I'd worked since with Richard Dreyfus and became friends and worked with with Paul Benedict. And do you know how great an actor he was? He was on so many well shows in television like the, the Jeffersons. You know him if you saw him. And he was always, well, he was the Englishman who lived on the floor there with them. And, well, he was, he was just great. And I always thought, I, let, let, let me look up while, while, while Colonel Jeff was printing out the poetry and printing out the joke and printing out things we, uh, we were going to do here. I said, do me a favor. Just bring up the biography of, of Paul Benedict there. And I want to, well, find out where he, where he was born in England when he came to the United States. And both the colonel and I were a little amazed to find out he was from Taos, New Mexico. And that's how good an actor he was, because any time he wanted, he could make you think he was English or anything else. He was a terrific actor. It was all sorts of fun. And if you ever saw the freshman, he was the college professor in that. He could be as dramatic and as mean or as comical and as sweet as anything you ever wanted. And I loved this guy. We would sit around. He had so many movie games to play, ways fans of movies can figure out, play a game with each other, and keep a score of, uh, well, the last letter in the first word of the name of the movie. Now you have to match. And they were very good games, and I really, really liked the fella. And he's passed on since. And uh, it's it's about uh, six years ago. I think it was 2008 that he died. And yet, you know what? All that, oh, and with Marsha Mason, too, and all of that became, in its way, well, the magic movie moment this time for me was that I saw all of them make a movie, and I had no idea I would be working with all of them someday. And that, folks, I have to tell you, is as magical, well, as it gets for me. I love it very much. And it ties in because, well, this weekend I was watching some old movies and taking the kids places they have to go. And my wife and I were going shopping and taking turns and trading off, doing this and that. But, you know, my older boy our oldest, who is, uh, well, a senior in high school now and joining the Marines. He's in the Marines, and he's going into basic training in July. And he has a girlfriend in high school, and he got her for Valentine's Day with no one saying anything. I didn't talk to him about it, but he went out and got her some red roses, a dozen red roses, and a heart-shaped box of C's candies. And not one of those joke boxes, the, you know, 250 pounds of chocolate, you know, where it's as, where, you know, well, it's as big as a Volvo. It's not that kind of box. It was far better. It was, well, about six inches high and six inches wide, and it was very cute. And I said to him, get a load of you. God bless you. Just No one told you to do this, and you just did it. 
because it was a sweet thing to do and and you're and you're a good guy for doing it and you know what folks he was happy to hear that and i realized that really another magic moment in life if you're lucky enough to fall in love with someone and she with you and if you're lucky enough to have kids and then one day if your oldest for the well for the first time gets the idea that he wants to give his girlfriend a couple of nice things on Valentine's Day. You know what? That's pretty magical, too. And I didn't even have the heart to tell him that's as magical as it gets. From here on in, it'll start swirling down when you just feel the pressure to get something. No, of course, that's not true. Well, of course it is, but what's the point? The point is that the magical moment is one of my kids getting it in his while getting it in his head to go out and get roses and chocolate and give it to his girlfriend. And for her, I asked him, he took them to school that Friday, Valentine's Day, and I asked him, I said, did she like it? And he said she was very happy. And it made me feel good. I said, of course she was, because you were happy getting them for her. And you know what? That's the whole point of Valentine's Day. No one else may think of it that way, but it really is. A young man getting something for a young woman for the first time. And folks, I hope you have it down in your hearts that way too. And as always, it reminds us all that Homer is Homer, Pluto is a planet, and remember, as always... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who loves you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that is still as true as anything I know. Never mind Valentine's Day, never mind President's Day. Get some candy for someone you love. And we'll see you here next time.